Everybody doing okay? Good? Good? Yeah? How's it feel to have like coffee and stuff back? That's pretty good, right? Anybody? Anybody out there? Couple, yeah? Is that okay to do in church? Can we do it? Cool. All right. As long as it's just cream and sugar in there, right? Okay. All right. Cool. Um, hey, Josh did a fantastic job uh, last week, right? And so he was doing Romans chapter 11. Uh, we were on vacation, and um, uh, we watched it in, in our condo because we're, we're good Christians, and we're watching uh, Josh teach it. And um, <laughs> my wife leaned over to me at the end when he started singing, and he goes, are you going to start doing that at the end of your lessons? And I was like, no, God, no. I don't sound like John Legend when I sing, uh, so no. We're not going to go there, so... He did a really, really good job. So chapters nine through 11 of Romans, if you haven't been here, they're, they're tricky. And what makes them tricky is they mostly talk about Israel. So even though it's a little bit harder for us to understand, we gotta do a little bit more legwork to kind of get the, the context of that. Chapter 11 is, is kind of exceptionally fascinating right now because we're seeing some of this play out in real time now. Um, Israel is always in the news, but Israel's in the news a lot right now. There's a lot going on in Israel. And the whole premise of chapter 11 that Josh talked about last week is God made a promise to those people. And God is faithful to his promises, just like he's faithful to his promises that he makes to us. But it's interesting to see that now with all the hostility towards Israel, um, no one will, will, will ever be able to conquer those people because God is faithful to those people. And, and we're seeing that. But again, because we are grafted in to that lineage, if you will. Uh, uh, Josh's whole, whole, again, lesson last week was talking about God is faithful to us. He's very, very faithful. So as we go from chapter 11 into chapter 12, chapter 12 is a great chapter. I think you're really gonna like it. It is extremely countercultural. We're gonna read a lot of stuff today. If you think of it from the filter of our culture right now in the United States, it's almost the exact opposite of what you guys are taught all the time. It is crazy. So we'll read through this today and you're like, wow, we actually hear the exact opposite to this. Every time we turn on the TV or the radio and just the culture around us, so it's very, very countercultural. But here's what is interesting. So chapters one through 11 of Romans, if you haven't been here, teaches us the doctrine of Christianity, basically how we believe as Christians. Chapter 12 is a turning point where Paul now says, he goes, okay, you've heard it. You've heard what Jesus has done for you. You've heard the beliefs of Christianity. And now in chapter 12, he says, now you have to respond to that. Because in light of all this truth that you've been given, see the Bible, the truth, is kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, it's great that we come into a place like this, we hear the word of God, we hear the truth. That's good. The other side of that is, once we hear the truth, we are then responsible for either rejecting the truth or accepting and living by the truth. And that's where chapter 12 kind of brings us. That, that by the knowledge that we're gonna leave this room with today, we are now responsible for that knowledge and living out that knowledge, okay? So you should have got a handout when you came in. Has everything I'm gonna say in there. Everything will be on the screens uh, around the room. If you have an old school copy of the scripture, we're in the New Testament. We're in the sixth book of the New Testament, 12th chapter. Uh, we'll get through it relatively quick. If you have the app, everything is on there. And um, we should be in pretty good shape. Hey, make sure you go back and say hi to the, the people from Greenhouse Ministries, one of the most important ministries that is in Rutherford County. So make sure you go by, uh, shake their hands, thank them for what they do, um, maybe inquire about getting involved in some level. So uh, yeah, go back there and talk to them. So, okay, everyone's good? Good? Right? Okay, all right, that's good. Well, hey, we'll get there, there we go, all right. It's me fishing, okay. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. Um, God, we thank you. Lord, thank you for, um, thank you for the blessing that it is, God, just to come into this place and to read your word and to hear it. God, I pray, Lord, that today we don't just hear your word. I pray, God, that we become, as your Bible says, Lord, uh, doers of the word. I pray, God, that everything we hear today, Lord, that it, that it sharpens us and makes us better. God, I pray, Lord, that our study and our conversation today, that it honors you. God, we thank you so much for Greenhouse that's, that's here with us this month, Lord, and all the work they do in our community. 
for being the hands and feet, God. Lord, we thank you for all the good churches in our community. We thank you, God, for what you're doing, Lord. We just pray that you keep your hand on us, God, and that your kingdom advances through us. Be with me today as I teach, Lord, and be with uh, all of us today, God, as we, we learn from your word. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We lift you up. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Romans is a letter written to a church in Rome and um, written by a guy named Paul. And so again, in chapter 12, we're gonna see a turning point where it's going beyond education and now it's going into application, okay? I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back and break it down. Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So like I already said, the first 11 chapters of Romans is doctrine. That's just a fancy word for the set of beliefs that, that we hopefully adhere to. Now, all the beliefs that we adhere to as Christians come from the mercy of God. God is merciful to us. And so chapter 12 is us now applying what God has done for us in our daily lives. Now, the first two verses are extremely important. So important, we're really gonna cut them up. The, the, the first half of verse one is important, and this is pivotal for, for the rest of our conversation today. We are reminded right off the bat that every good thing in our life, every good thing we do, every good thing that happens to us, our ability to be good husbands or wives or parents or employees or anything good that comes from us, Paul reminds us that that has nothing to do with us. It is all God's mercy and graciousness given to us. So it is important as we get started to know that everything good about you, everything good that happens through you, to you, and around you is all because God has allowed those things to happen. It's all from the mercies of God, okay? That's pivotal today. And so in light of that, the second half of verse one says, because everything good that happens to us, every blessing that, that happens to us is because of goodness, the goodness of God, our response to that is, is we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. So in light of how good God is to us, Paul makes the argument, the only reasonable, rational response, listen, for anyone who hears that God gave his only son to die a violent death for us, to resurrect from the grave, to forgive our sins and give us salvation, the only rational response to that knowledge is complete surrender to Jesus, to give everything to him because he has saved us. He has pulled us out of the ditch. He has given us a promise for eternal life with him. And so to that, we say, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. My life and everything is yours. So here's the thing. There is a very logical side of Christianity. I get a I don't wanna say defensive or offended because I don't get very offended very easily, but whenever people say that Christianity is illogical or whenever people whenever say Christianity is too hard to understand, that's not true. In fact, the Bible is extremely logical, extremely practical in many, many ways. And Paul, for 11 chapters now, has set up a very comprehensible, straightforward doctrine, right? Our set of beliefs. And so the Bible appeals to our reasonable side very, very frequently. I was talking about in the other services, this idea that, that a Christian cannot be logical, rational, or even scientific, right, is false. One of our elders that just stepped down because he's, he's run his three-year course, he was actually on it for four years, was Dr. Robert Dudley. Sits on the board at Pepperdine, he has multiple medical degrees and several PhDs from, from very prestigious universities and very, very much a man of science, owns a pharmaceutical company. He actually created testosterone cream for all you older men. You can tell him thank you. You can actually shake the guy's hand, right? Thank you, Dr. Dr. Bob. Anyways, a very brilliant man and also believes that this book is infallible and he follows it to the best of his abilities. It can be done. So here's the thing. The very practical side that, that Paul is, is coming at us with is if we understand what Jesus has done for us, 
We are not called just to make an occasional sacrifice to Jesus. We are called to live as a continual sacrifice to Jesus. It's not just that I did one good thing. It's not that I prayed one prayer or I, I, I gave Greenhouse a, a hundred bucks or, or that I, I showed up to a community service day. It is a continual lifestyle of knowing that we owe everything to Jesus, right? And living in submission and gratitude to Jesus. But here's the thing. Man, we're gonna get into some fun stuff today. In order to be a dedicated follower of Jesus, we have to know what we have to move away from. So in order to say yes to Christ, we have to say no to some other things. Now, I don't recommend that you be defined on what you're not, but sometimes you need to understand what you're not so you can understand what you are. So Paul says we need to deliberately, consciously, intentionally not conform to our culture, not conform to our age. Now, what does that mean? That means that we do not align ourselves to the beliefs of our society, the philosophies, the methods, the strategies. We do not align ourselves with a group of people, right? Methodology-wise, strategy-wise, philosophically, that do not follow Jesus. And the problem is, is that not only are a lot of people falling into the, the conformity of this age, it's starting to happen a lot in the church. It is starting to creep its way into Christianity. Now, why is this such a problem? It's such a problem because the Bible says that this world right now doesn't belong to God, it belongs to the devil. Now that's temporary, because Jesus is gonna come back and reestablish himself here. But right now the Bible says that this culture, this society, this era of the earth, it belongs to the devil. So that means that when we conform to our age or our culture, we are conforming to the pattern of the devil. That means we cannot follow the moral standard of our culture. That means that we cannot follow the intellectual standard of our culture. Here's the big one for us. We cannot follow the emotional standard of our culture. What that means is right now, we're gonna talk real today. Right now, you guys are pummeled with this mantra of do what you feel. If it feels right, follow that. We say it in cute ways like, Follow your heart, right? That's what we say. Follow your emotions. If your emotions tell you to do it, do it. It's interesting to me that's completely antithetical to this book. A book says in Jeremiah, don't follow your emotions because your emotions are deceptive. Your heart is deceptive. If you're a young person here, you don't even have to be young, anyone that's married in here, there will come a time where, where some attractive man or attractive woman will walk by you and you may feel this thing for a second. Some guy may give you attention at work and you may feel this thing for a second. You don't pursue that because that leads to divorce. That leads to your kids being upset with you and wrecking your home and it leads to bad things. You don't always follow your emotions because your emotions lie to you quite often. So we cannot adapt to the standards of the world. What, what they will do is if we adopt or conform to the standards of our age, we get into the spiral, the pattern. And what happens with the pattern of the world, I said this two weeks ago, find me a civilization that has stood the test of time. They don't, they don't, they always fall. The pattern of humanity absent of God always leads to death. It always leads to strife. It leads to depravity, failure, heartache, and ultimately destruction. I'll tell you something interesting, speaking of our culture today. If you do a research, right, of right before civilizations topple and fall, the two predominant factors or, 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 or symbols or signs that you'll see in a civilization that's about to tank, listen to this, is extreme materialism and extreme sexual deviance. Have you lived in America long? Right? Sorry. All right, let's keep moving on. Let's keep going. That's not a happy slide. Let's, let's go on. So here's the thing. If we're to avoid the pitfalls of an anti-Christ culture, let me pause there again. Guys, listen, and I'm not trying to be weird with you today. Uh, I'm not trying to be um, scary. I'm not like a weird prepper. I don't have like a closet full of like canned Chef Boyardee or anything. I'm not one of those weirdos, right? But let me, I don't know why of all the things that popped into my, I don't want to be stuck eating Chef, Chef Boyardee. Um, anyways, <laughs> 
some of you guys are like, honey, we gotta get rid of the, the Chef Boyardee. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has felt this. The Bible says in 1 John that, that even before the Antichrist, which is the, the man who's going to, to, to lead a revolution basically against God, even before the Antichrist comes, John says in 1 John, there's a spirit. Now, here's where I'm gonna get weird on you guys a little bit. Does anyone else feel it in the United States besides me? No, no, I'm serious. Does the Holy, do you not feel the aggression in the world right now? I'm not trying to be funny. Do you feel it on the highway? Seriously. No, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not even making a joke. Do you feel it if you accidentally bump up against someone in a restaurant and you're like, do you feel it? Do you feel the hostility? Do you feel the divide? Do you feel it? I'm not talking politics, guys. I'm talking about your soul. There is something right now that I think people who are full of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that we feel it. There's a spirit right now in the world. And the only way to avoid falling into that trap of the hatred and the division and the hostility and the aggression and the materialism and the greed and the sexual perversion, the only way to not fall into that is to completely give our minds to God and let God renew our minds every single day. It is the only way to give our minds to God is the only way, as Paul says, that we can discern what is good and what is evil, right? It's the only way we can have the ability to say, that's not okay. I, I can feel it. Where we have the discernment to know what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I'm not talking about just your salvation, guys. Christianity has really gotten it wrong. We think salvation is the finish line. Salvation is the beginning. And it is the sanctification process. That's a fancy way of saying that after we're saved, we live in a relationship with Jesus and we start to act more like Jesus. We start to think more like Jesus. We are made into the image of God. And there is something that we feel, but our minds have to be given over to Jesus Christ, okay? All right. So far by, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of themselves more highly than they should. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed as a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, teach. If exhorting, in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So what Paul does is here, we're, we're gonna move from the only logical response to knowing what Jesus has done for us is to, is to submit to him. Now what do we do with that? How are we equipped to live the way Jesus wants us to live? So the first thing Paul reminds us in this section is this, it all begins with humility. Listen, there is no place for arrogance in Christianity and in the life of a Christian. Now, there's a lot of, in my opinion, just zingers in chapter 12. To me, this is the one that I think is the most prevalent. Paul says, do not think of yourself as more highly than what you are. Be sensible about how you view yourself. Again, I'm not trying to be funny, even though you might find it funny. But, but I'm not in love with social media. I have Facebook because I pastor this church and because I like looking at cars on Marketplace. But, but I, have, I have Facebook, right? And unfortunately, every time I open up Facebook on my phone, the first thing I see is, is the stories, right? The little videos, they're up there at the top. Now, if you've done this, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk, I promise you, but, but, but I just wanna point something out because I think there's a deeper problem. It is so common to, to see people who are, you know, they're recording themselves talking often while they're driving a car, which doesn't seem sensible to me, but anyways. So they're recording their self-driving, and it's usually not about anything profound. It's, they get on there, but they're, they're real serious, and they're like, guys, today I'm gonna go to the grocery store. I'm gonna go to Publix, maybe Kroger, and I'm gonna get lettuce today, guys. I don't know, though. I mean, maybe, maybe tell me what you think. Iceberg or Red Leaf? But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the grocery store, and we're, we're going. Now listen, if you created lettuce, maybe I'd care, but, but 
But here's the underlying problem. We live in a culture right now to where everyone thinks life is a big movie and I'm the star. And that if I make this video that somehow in somewhere in this made up place that I've created in my mind, that there's all these people that care that I grocery shop. But that's because, that's because there's something lacking in us and we have inflated our sense of self to some level that is just, it's kind of, it's kind of humorous and weird to see that so many people think, right? I remember during COVID, everyone became epidemiologists during COVID. It was amazing. Everyone was a scientist. Everyone knew, right? Well, I just saw this and this is what you do. And I'm like, you never went to high school. Like, what, what are you? <laughs> Have a sensible estimation. Sorry, that was way out of line way out of line, but have a sensible estimation of who you are. Humility is not self-degrading, but humility is having a realistic view of who you are, right? That's why I don't get on Facebook and, and try to tell you how to do math equations. I have an English degree. I have no business telling you how to do that, right? Have a sensible view of who we are. And so again, here's the thing. What should keep us humble and keep us having a sensible view of who we are is the fact that every good thing that comes through us is because God has distributed that to us. Here's the thing, every single one of us has failed. Every single one of us has failed. In every successful endeavor, all of our talents, if you're a beautiful person, you don't need to be arrogant about that because God created your face, right? If you're an intellectual person, you don't need to be arrogant about that because it's not you, God gave you that mind. Even with our spiritual giftings, you don't need to be arrogant about that. It is only God that gives us that. And here's the thing. The Bible says God can give and the Bible says God can also take away. So we need to be humble with those things. We are just borrowing those things from God. We also don't need to be competitive with other Christians. This is another way Christianity in the United States has really, really failed. It's this, this competition thing. That's like the pitcher turning around to the center fielder and being like, hey, we don't need you, I'm pitching. No, they need everybody, right? They need every position to be filled. None is more important than the other. The team only functions when all nine of those people are out there on the field. It's the same thing with the body of God. And so this whole, well, I'm a Baptist. Oh, I'm a Catholic, oh, I'm a penny. No, 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 no. You're a catcher, I'm a pitcher, he's a center fielder. It's okay, we are all working for the common goal of getting more people to heaven and less people in hell. That's what we're working towards, right? And so there is no room for competition. Now, don't get me wrong, if, if someone is being heretical and preaching things that aren't the Bible, we need to call that stuff out. But like, I don't text Pastor Brady on Sunday afternoon and be like, how many do you have a new vision? I don't do that, right? because it's dumb. I hope he has thousands and thousands and thousands more than we do. That's great. There's no room for competition. There is no room for condescension. Talking down to, because we're all part of the same body, okay? There's no room for that. And here's the thing. There are many gifts, but they all come from one source, and the source is not us. Many gifts are given to us, and this means that, that followers of Jesus are given spiritual gifts, practical gifts, and relational gifts. And these are used to advance the kingdom of God, to build our relationship with him, and to build our relationship with each other. Here is the posture. We're gonna talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit for a second. That makes some people uncomfortable. It's biblical. It's okay. We'll all be okay. Here's the posture we should take when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We should all be praying for the gift of wisdom because the book of James says that is the only gift that God always gives when we ask for it. So every single one of you, every single day of your life should be saying, God, give me wisdom. If we need a spiritual gift right now, it is the gift of wisdom. God, give me wisdom. All of us should be doing that. The other posture we should take is we should say, God, what other gifts you have for me, I'll take whatever you wanna give me. I trust you, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, no matter what it is, God, you distribute to me what you think I need. Now, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, here are the New Testament gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have Romans chapter 12 that we're talking about today. It talks about prophecy, which is not telling the future so much. It is, it, is, it is speaking the truth boldly. It is speaking on the behalf of God, basically, is what that means. You have serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is, this is where it gets into some of the more uncomfortable ones that people aren't always comfortable with, but it talks about prophecy again, teaching, helping others, leadership, the gift of wisdom, 
knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, the ability to, to know what is right and wrong, speaking in tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So again, all these things still exist. In Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, you got prophecy, pastoring, teaching, and serving. So here's the thing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, I'm not trying to make fun of you, but whenever people like take those tests online, I'm just trying to find my gift of the Holy Spirit. God will distribute to those, you to those how, how he sees fit, okay? And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not just your character traits. Hell, yeah, my buddy's really funny. It's his gift. I'm like, I don't think that's one of them. But anyways, <laughs> what a gift of the Holy Spirit is, is something that we could not do without God. When Moses approached the burning bush, and God said, lead my people out. And Moses says, B -b 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 but I can't talk well. And God says, who made your mouth? You're gonna be just fine, right? That's, that's a gift of the Spirit, something that Moses could not have done by himself. So we are not only submitted and open to however God wants to use us, but we need to be educated. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, brothers and sisters, do not be uneducated about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he explains them all. So we read the Bible so we do not abuse the gifts that God has given us because I've seen it happen. Some of you have seen it happen and it hurts people when we misuse the things that God has trusted us with, okay? So not only do we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we should all be producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If we're submitted to God, if we sacrifice our desires, if we step out in faith, there are things that will come up from us. And I'll talk about these more here in a minute. And what this means is this, Christianity is more than just a belief system. Christianity is a way that we live. It is everything we do. When we become Christians, Jesus becomes the filter by which we look at everything. And so, you know, the cheesy, the cheesy bands, right? Wristbands, what would Jesus do? Like, that's actually pretty theologically sound. We should look at everything. What would Jesus do in this situation? Does this honor God? And when we do that, he becomes our source. He becomes everything we need. He becomes the thing that leads us. And he becomes our identity. Everything changes when we see things through the lens of Jesus, okay? Next part is so simple that I shouldn't even have to explain it. But, but what the heck, I got you here, so we will. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud, instead associate with humble people. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it's written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. Look at this last verse. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So the last 13 verses of this chapter are, are so simple. They, they really don't need commentary. They're extremely easy to understand. Anyone in this room can read those, very straightforward. The problem is, is as easy as they are to understand, they are that much more difficult to actually execute. It's like when Jesus says, love your neighbor, and you're like, got it, that's easy. And then you meet your neighbor, and they suck, right? You're like, I don't like that person at all. But we're, um, not me, I have good neighbors. <laughs> if any of my neighbors happen to watch this. But, but, um, but it's hard, it's very hard. So here's the thing, we are to show that the Holy Spirit is in us by the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, 
and also in the day-to-day nitty-gritty, I'm tired, I've worked 10 hours, that person's really obnoxious, we're to show that love of God and the Holy Spirit in us in those moments as well. Not only is that tough, Jesus does this and Paul does it too. They take it up a notch and don't only do that for the people you like, do it for the ones that hate your guts. Do it for your enemies too. Look at how counterculture all of this is. Now, let me tell you the only way this is possible. The only way for you to love people and treat them the way Jesus wants you to treat them is you have to be head over heels in love with God. It is the only way. It is difficult to love people right now. Seriously, it is hard. You watch enough humanity, you, you spend enough time out in the real world. Man, people, people are tough right now. It is tough to love them right now. And it is only by being full to the brim of the Holy Spirit that we can do what God wants us to do. And here's what God wants us to do. You ready for this? Because God has graciously loved us. Listen, when we were at our worst, God loved us, gave his only son for us. And now we have been saved by that graciousness. And God says, now you go do that for other people. Even when they are at their worst, love them. And not just that, look at this. Love them without hypocrisy. Let me talk about the world a little bit. Now listen, I'm, I'm apolitical, apolitical. I don't mean confessing to this. I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for the other person either. I, I, I just, I, I, I stay away from politics. I don't like the whole batch of them, basically. Love them, don't really care for them, right? And their principles. So I just, I'm not a political person. Some people hate that. Some people leave the church when I say that. It's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach the word. I'm not called to preach politics. Anyways, and so, but, but, but I'm an equal opportunist when it comes to calling out hypocrisy. We live in a world right now that says love. Love everybody, let them love however they wanna love, 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 love. Except you right-wing conservatives, we wanna smash you into the ground and we hate you, right? Or the other way around, you have a bunch of Christians who say we love everyone, except for those people protest and I hate them. We don't say hate, we just have it buried deep in our heart. See what we do? The Bible says love and love everyone. Don't love hypocritically. If we're gonna love, we gotta do it across the board. Even the ones that we don't agree with, even the ones that seem small-minded or bigoted, even the ones that seem hateful and destructive, we love, we love. If we're gonna love, we're gonna do it across the board. Bible says love and love without hypocrisy. Love all people. We are to detest evil and hold on to what is good. That means that what we partake in matters. What we listen to matters. What we watch matters. Man, I don't know if there's any other people who are getting too old in this room. I go back and watch and listen to some of the stuff I used to listen to like pre-Jesus and I'm like, my God, that's vile. How did I ever partake in that? But once we have the Holy Spirit in us, there should be this mechanism, right? That says, ooh, that, that doesn't jive well with me. I detest that, right? I used to like a, I used to like a bunch of violent movies, right? I loved, like, I loved like Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction and all this kind of stuff. I got my, my minor in film studies. That's the most worthless minor ever, by the way. Anyways, <laughs> watched a lot of movies that were extremely violent. And you know what has changed my view on those movies? is when I started being a pastor and I got to witness a bunch of really violent, terrible things. And then when I watch movies glorifying things that I've seen in real life, I'm like, no, thank you. It's detestable to me, no, thank you. Bible says, detest things that are evil, cling on to things that are, what are, what, that are good. Outdo each other with honor. If we all did this, we would have heaven on earth. If we all thought in our minds, I'm gonna outdo you by being more honorable to you. Isn't that interesting? Be fervent in spirit. That means stand firm in your beliefs. Stand firm in your beliefs. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. I highlighted this one because if we would do this, the rest of these would come a lot easier. If we were persistent in prayer, share with the saints and their needs. I'm not a socialist. I don't believe that the, man, the, the, the government should be able to mandate benevolence, but I believe the heart of a Christian should wanna make sure that no one goes hungry, that everyone has enough, right? That everyone has a, 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 a place to, to stay at night, that everyone is taken care of to the best of our abilities, sharing the saints with your needs. Pursue hospitality. 
Bless those that persecute you. Bless them. Rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Weep with those that are weeping. Live in harmony. Live in harmony. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant, but associate with humble people. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I don't care who you are in this room, you can learn from other people. If you're younger in here and someone older than you is talking to you, shut up for a second and listen to what they have to say. You might be able to glean some wisdom from them. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil for evil. But they pushed me. Jesus says, don't push him back. Do not repay evil for evil. Paul says, if possible, live at peace with everyone. Now, that's interesting because the Bible also says there's a time for war, which means that there is not always the opportunity for peace. But if it's possible, if it's on my watch and it can be peaceful, be peaceful. Do not avenge yourself. Do you guys believe that we don't have to get revenge? God sees it all, and God is going to hold everything in check. Well, I gotta get them back because they did this. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. Do not avenge yourself. And Paul says if we will do these things, it's like heaping hot, fiery coals on their heads. That sounds a little intense. Some people think that's from an Egyptian ritual. Uh, Solomon actually wrote it. They don't know where it's from. But what it actually means is this is that when people are hostile towards us, if we will just be kind to them, it will actually diffuse the situation most of the time. And it will humble them, and they will probably repent. Not all the time. So one time, listen, this is funny. Before the house that my wife and I live in now, so this is about seven, eight years ago, I was pulling into the street we used to live in, and I was a hanging a left from, from the turn, turn lane. This car was a hanging, hanging a right in there. And so this car is already making a right in there and I start to follow him in. And I guess I got closer to this car than this guy wanted. Young kid, he's probably 18, 19 years old. Both hands went up, fingers, right? Up. I'm not usually the best lip reader, but I, I could read the words he was, he was saying to me, yelling at me in his car as the, as the hands were up. And um, he's, I mean, he was mad, irate, yelling things, hands, all the, the whole nine yards. So he pulls into his driveway and I just pull into his driveway right next to him. And no, no, wait, it's good. this is gonna go good. Um, and I pull in right next to him and, and he gets out and he, he's ready, man, he's ready to go. I'm gonna beat this old man up, right? Gets out and I just get out and I close my door and I said, hey neighbor, I live just right over here, right by you. I said, I'm sorry for whatever I did to make you so angry in your car at me. I'm sorry if I got too close to your car. My apologies, will you forgive me of that? And watching this 18 year old just melt. And then this 18-year-old goes, are you the pastor of the experience? And I said, I said, as a matter of fact, I am. And I'll tell you, that was pretty glorious right there. That was pretty good. I'll tell you what, though. If, if, if in the face of hostility, if you will be humble, and if you will show love and kindness, you'll be surprised at how much peace will be made. Be shocked. And then Paul ends with this. Now, I love this. This is where we're gonna hang on for a couple of minutes. Do not be conquered by evil. Listen, brothers, sisters, there's a lot of evil out there right now. But Paul says, do not be conquered by that evil. Instead, take an offensive approach and conquer evil with good. Here's the thing. Jesus' death on the cross did not just open up a path for us to be saved. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection opened up the path for us to receive the Holy Spirit of God, to be full of the Holy Spirit of God. And when we are full of the Holy Spirit of God, we overcome and conquer evil. We live lives, as the Bible says, as overcomers. This is only possible by the power of God in us. Listen, you can only overcome your, your hopelessness and helplessness and your anxiety and your fear and your addiction, you can only overcome these obstacles with God in our life. We are incapable without Jesus. So here's what Paul is doing today. The first thing Paul says, in light of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and I, knowing every evil thing we would ever do, Knowing that, and if you've never heard that before today, you've heard it now. 
that the God of the universe came down in flesh and blood, died on a cross, he hung on it for nine hours before he bled to death and asphyxiated, right? Before he did that, he knew everything that you would ever do wrong, every evil that would ever cross your mind, every rebellious act you would ever engage in. He knew it and he still loved you and died. And so here's the thing, in light of knowing that, our only rational response is, my life is yours. My life is yours. I would have no life without you. I would have no hope without you. It's yours. So my question for you guys this morning, I got a couple more, but the first one is this. Can you and I honestly say that we are humble people? Humble does not mean that we degrade ourselves. That's, a, that's actually a false humility. But do we have true humility? We have a proper estimation of who we are. Can we say that? Do you feel indebted to Jesus Christ? I had someone leave this church a couple years back because I said I felt indebted and obligated to Jesus. And they said, well, he's forgiven me of my debts. And I said, okay, okay, I, I guess I get what you're saying there, but the rest of my life I am indebted to him. I can never pay him back for all he's done for me. And I'm gonna stand by that statement. Now we live in a culture right now that is very entitled. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that is antithetical to this book because God owes us nothing. I'll be honest, no human owes you anything either. What you do with your life is yours. And if you choose to put it in the hands of God or not, that's you. Are we willing to submit and give it all to him in light of his mercy, right? So not only is God merciful, God provides what we need. I'm not talking about just food and shelter, though I believe he does that too. But God is merciful and gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we need in order to build a better relationship with him, to advance the kingdom of God and help other people. He gives us that. We need that. He also gives us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I talked about this earlier. Now let me tell you what those things are. This is what a lot of people in the world are looking for, but they cannot find it because they're looking in the wrong direction. But God says these things will bubble up out of you if you have a relationship with me. Love. There's so many of us in this room, pre-Jesus, I hope, right? That have tried to find love, but we've tried to find it in sex or in affirmation on social media or in all these different ways that are unhealthy. But God says, if you'll just submit to me, if you'll just build a relationship with me, love will flow out of you. Not only will you have it, it will pour out of you. That we can have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. We can have self-control. We don't have to live addicted lives, codependent lives. That these things, God gives us something even greater than food and shelter. He gives us peace, contentment, self-control, right? That he gives us those things. He's a provider. He's merciful. He's a provider. He also gives us commands to go out and practically use the Holy Spirit that is inside us in our daily lives. This means that how we work is different. How I'm a husband is different. How we go out and order food is different. How I drive my car is different. I know that sounds stupid, right? But everything is different. And it's not always easy for us to go out and treat other people the way we wanna be treated or to outdo each other with honor. But we are called to go out into this world and not just for the people we like, but for all people to respond to them the way God has responded to us, to love them even at their worst even at their worst. But let me ask you this. We live in a very me-centered culture. It is about me. Me, 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 me. Can we look at ourselves and say, my ethics, how I work, how I live, how I think, how I act, can we honestly say that it lines up with the things that we've read today in chapter 13, verses nine through 21? Can we say that it lines up with that and not with the ways of the world? Let me give you a good example, and I don't mean to be a jerk or hurt your feelings today, but I just wanna tell you something I've noticed. We live in a culture right now where people don't wanna work. No one wants to work. There's jobs, people just don't wanna work. And I was driving down Murfreesboro Road the other day, and there was a billboard for Bunny Bread that says they are hiring for $30 an hour at Bunny Bread. My first thought was, I hope no one that works at the church sees that sign. And then, <laughs> that's a lot, of, that's pretty good money starting off, right? But then my second thought was, is I'm like, man, they have to pay this exorbitant amount because there's a labor crisis. No one wants to work. 
Now listen, I'm gonna be offensive here for a second and, and, and I'm sorry, but it's for your good. If you get into this book, the New Testament actually says, I think it's in Thessalonians, that if a man doesn't wanna work, a man shouldn't be allowed to eat. I didn't write that, the Bible said that. The Bible also says that a person is worth their wages, which means you have to work to make money. It's a biblical principle. Apathy and laziness is not coherent. It, it, does, not, it does, not, does not go with biblical principles. So if we live in a me-centered environment that says, well, I think everyone should pay for everything for me. Now, if you look in the light of the scripture, does it, does it line up? I would say no. But we need to take every component of our life and make sure that it aligns with this and not with the me-centered culture that we have right now in the world. Hope that was okay. He's merciful, he provides, he tells us what to do, and he has promises for us. The word of God doesn't only promise us, guys, this is where I hope we can just be real for a second. The word of God doesn't only promise us a good future. The word of God says if we will submit to Jesus, we can have a good present. That doesn't mean that you're gonna be rich and wealthy and have a six pack and that everything's gonna go great all the time. That's not what that means. It means that you can have a victorious life. It means that you do not have to live in addiction. It means that you do not have to live hopeless. It means that you don't have to live in fear or anxiety or debilitating depression. It means that God can help you have joy and peace if, if we will lay it all down at the foot of Christ and say, it's yours. It's yours that we do not have to be conquered by evil, but we can go out and conquer evil with good. So the question is this, are you and I living a life that is conquering evil? Doesn't mean that we don't mess up. Doesn't mean that we don't need help. Doesn't mean that we don't, we don't need assistance at times. But are we living a life full of the Holy Spirit that is conquering evil or, 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 has the world beat us down into submitting to their processes, right? And let me tell you, the, the, the conformity to the world always has the same result. It always has the same outcome. Depravity, failure, destruction, fear, right? It's always the same stuff. Now listen, um, I'm gonna get, I'll just get really personal with you. So I was on vacation, we went to Hilton Head. It was the first time we ever went, saw an alligator, that was weird. Anyways, we were down in Hilton Head and I had written out about 75% of this lesson but I still had a little bit left that I had to finish while we were on vacation. So I got up early one morning, went out to a, a coffee shop and I'm sitting there you know, working by myself and, and um, people are coming in and out and I'm finishing up my lesson. Now, if, if you haven't been here long, if you have, you, you already know this. I, I can be a, a, a pessimistic person. I, you guys are like, duh, have you heard yourself preach? But anyways, um, I can be kind of a half glass empty person. And so I have a tendency, if I'm not careful, that I can very easily slide into depression. Um, my favorite band's The Cure, right? That doesn't help, so if you know anything about them. So uh, they're very sad. I can easily slide into to sadness, I can easily get into a bad state, right? Very pessimistic, very dark. Very, very easily if I'm not careful. And I'm sitting here studying and I'm typing out my lesson and my Bible's in front of me and my computer's there and I'm doing my thing. And I've never heard the audible voice of God, but almost clear as a bell in the middle of this really, really busy coffee shop, all these people on vacation and I'm trying to just wrap this thing up so I can go to the beach and God tells me this. This is for me. I don't know if this is for anyone else in this room. I felt like Jesus said, Corey, you read this book all the time. You preach on this book all the time. And not that I'll never have any struggles, but I felt like Jesus said to me, you don't have to live in hopelessness. You don't have to live in pessimism. You don't have to live always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You don't have to always live uh, um, thinking about what the next step is all the time so you miss the moment. I'm the guy who, guys, I made a really bad mistake. We're on the beach and I brought two books. I brought Animal Farm in 1984. That was not good. Um, that's a true story. I read both of them on vacation. And my wife's like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. Anyways, if you've never read them, they're sad. Anyways, but, but God said to me, Corey, it doesn't have to be like that. 
I sat here and I finished this thing and just as clear as a bell, God said, if you will apply what you've read, if you will respond to what you've read, I will do these things in your life. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. I don't know who that's for. Maybe that's for someone else besides me. I don't know. But we hear these things. We hear that the, the Holy Spirit is powerful. We hear that God loves us. We hear multiple times in the Bible that we are to be more than overcomers that God has promised us. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all these things. We hear these things. But I feel like there's a lot of us in this room, maybe not just me, that, that we haven't wrapped our arms around those promises and held on to them knowing that God is gonna give us those things if we would just let go of what we want and just lay it at the, foot, the, the, the feet of Christ. Listen, you know what the book of Jeremiah says? Whatever plans you have for yourself, Jeremiah says, God has better ones. You just have to trust him. You have to let those things go. You have to take your hands off of it because quite frankly, it's not yours anyway. Take your hands off of it. Give God your marriage. Give God your children. Give God your future. Give God your hopes and your dreams. Give God your money. Give God your time. Give, give God your, your occupation. Just say, Lord, Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours. And see what God won't do for you. See what God won't, won't, won't help you with. It, what, what, what he wants to do inside of your heart if you'll just relent. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, up here on my right, your left, if you're new, maybe you have any questions, Maybe you're not a believer yet, but you're just curious. Up here is Pastor Isaac. He's on my right, your left, at the corner of the stage. He'd love to talk with you. We have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything at all, please come up and get prayer from these men and women. And then the last thing is this. We're taking communion kind of how we used to do it. All around this room, there are tables with lamps on it. And it has the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone is welcome to get that. If you would, if you'll go get that communion, make your way back to your seat, um, we're, gonna, we're gonna do communion together, okay? And pray about that together. I wanna pray for you though. Father, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has maybe been reluctant to just let you have it all, God, I pray, Lord, that today is the day they just, they just surrender that. Lord, even if we can't see it, God, you have plans for us that are better than anything we could possibly imagine. God, if there's anyone in this room that lacks peace, God, I pray, Lord, that they get peace. If there's anyone in this room that lacks love and affirmation, God, I pray that they get that from you. If there's anyone in this room that is feeling hopeless or depressed, God, or anxious or fearful, I pray that you speak to that, God. Lord, we love you and we know that you love us. Lord, let us live in that, God. Bless everyone in this room. Keep your hand on them until we meet again, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys very much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.